Um, the person you see in front of you is not the same person you would have seen 10 years ago. Uh, I'm a little better looking than I was then, but um, I was the number, by fall, I was number nine outside linebacker, fierce. Uh, when I walked on the football field, people were like, I hope we play against him. <laughs> no, people were scared and intimidated. Uh, just like, you know, I would do the antacids, just like in the, uh, what was that movie? The Little Giants, yeah. And by spring, I was number nine, uh, Lloyd Memorial High School's version of Derek Jeter. Man, I could cover from second base to third base. You should not even think about trying to hit it in the six hole, because if you do, you are out, right? Here's what you don't know is my junior year, um, I spent more time ineligible academically than I did on the football field or baseball field. It, it became a problem, obviously, uh, not just on, at school or with my teams or with my coaches, but also at home. So after my junior year, uh, my, after my junior year, man, I had lost all innocence. I had lost, I had, I had experienced parts of life that I hope my 16, my son, when he's 16 year old, 16 years old, doesn't see right. And um, and so going into and us adults, we pick up on that, right? Like we're not stupid. When you're 16, 17 year old, you just think all adults are idiots. Like they have no idea what's going on. It's like we know. And uh, so my coach, my high school football coach, he picked up on that going from uh, my junior year into my senior year. And I don't know how it worked out, but it was during that summer where we were lifting, and it was just him and I in the locker room. And I, I remember this clearly. I was sitting on the incline bench. Um, he was sitting on the bench press bench, and uh, he, he, said these, um, he said these words, uh, I heard Dave Ferguson this past week say that these are the most infor- four important letters in the alphabet, and I hope that you can instill them in your life uh, as you like speak life into other people. The four most important letters, he says, are I see in you. If you can tell someone, man, I, this is what I see in you, and this was one of those I see in you conversations, and what he told me was, Roger, people follow you, man. Um, you have the ability to lead you just need to lead them in the right direction. And he said, what I see in you is a leader on our football team this next year. And I'm pumped up, you know, 16-year-old ego. I'm like, yeah, they're going to be writing about me in the Dixie Reporter. That was our newspaper. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was the name of it. I just came up with that. But it's probably something like that. And so anyway, um, you know, I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm going to be a leader on the football team, you know. This is, um, but this is what he said. He said, but... If being good is good enough, you will never be great. And I was like, that should be a poster. <laughs> if, if being good is good enough, then you'll never be great. Now, as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid, you want to be great. Y'all, even now, like our culture is all about being great, Right? I mean, you, you, you can see someone wearing the, the Nike t-shirt where it just says greatness on it or witness on it um, or, or, or whatever. Like, it's, it's all about, like, my name in lights and, and NBA. I'm going to get mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to be this rock star superhero. I, I don't know. But, like, at some, all you have to do now is create a, a Facebook video that 10 people think's funny, and then they share it, and you're viral. Like, you're a superstar, and you're on Ellen the next week, right? I mean, that, that's our culture. 
But then my coach defined greatness like this. I mean, we, we want to be great. Like, I'm going to score. Well, I play defense. But still, I was going to score three touchdowns a game, and that would make me great when the Heisman, like Desmond Howard. And um, this is how he defined greatness. He, says greatness. he said, greatness comes from doing the little things faithfully. And that shattered me because I don't want to do the little things faithfully, right? I just want to show up and be good. But if being good is good enough, you'll never be great. But greatness comes from doing the little things faithfully. That's tough in our culture to just show up and work. Just wake up and go to work. And at the end of the day, no one's going to know your name. Or no one's going to know what you did. Like, just to be faithful. We're going through the book, we're going through this book called The Story. It's like a Reader's Digest version of the Bible. Listen, don't let this replace the Bible in your home and in your life. Um, But what it's done is taken about 80% of the Bible and it's put it in narrative form. Um, If you were to read a Bible or pick up a book from the bookstore or library, uh, man, this light is driving me nuts. There. That's much better. I put it there, so (laughs) I can only blame myself. Um, But now I can't see any of you. It's just spots. Cool. Um, It's it's like uh, if you were to go to the library or a bookstore and buy a book, you can read it from left to right, and it would make sense. The Bible doesn't do that. You'll finish a book, and then the next book starts in the middle of where that book would have been. For instance, Ruth, when we get to it. Uh, Next week, and well, not next week, but when we pick the story up uh, in, in May... Um, we will pick back up in second or in First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. All those take place on top of each other. So we'll really be thankful for the story then. Um, so you know, if if you want to pick up a, a copy of it, we're going to be going through it all year. We're going to take some breaks every now and then. But where we find ourselves in the story is in chapter eight. If you've been reading with us uh, in the book of Ruth. So in your Bible, if you want to go ahead and find the book of Ruth. We've got a few left. Uh, If you need a Bible, we put a shipment of orders uh, of Bibles in this week. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring you one. Uh, We we want that to be your Bible. Take it home, study it, read it. Uh, I think we got like five left. So if you want it, it's yours. Um, We'll have more next week. So here's, here's what's interesting about the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is so strange. For a number of reasons. Reason number one is where it's placed in the Bible. So Genesis starts with this just creation power story of God. And then you just read how God takes care of the beginning of the Hebrew people. Right? How he starts this nation with this 75-year-old man who doesn't have a child until he doesn't have the promised child until he's 100. Then we watch God take care of the Hebrew people. Well, in the beginning of Exodus, they're in prison, they're in, slave, they're, they're in slavery in Egypt, and then God raises up Moses. Moses leads them out in, in a display of God's power. Y'all remember that, the ten plagues, and then he splits, he splits the, the Red Sea. Uh, they walk through, and then God takes care of the Hebrew people in Egypt, in the desert. Oh, then we get to Joshua. And Joshua's just this power, or this another story of God's powerful presence among his people as they, of this conquest, and they take over uh, the promised land. And now God's people are in the promised land. We see a promise that was made all the way in Genesis chapter 12 be fulfilled partially in, in the beginning of the book of Joshua. 
We meet people like Rahab and stuff like that. And again, see God's power. Remember the walls of Jericho after they blew the trumpets and they came down? And then judges, right? Like God brings, uh, God's people are struggling. He brings up this judge and this judge comes to power and and he brings peace and, and prosperity to God's people, sometimes through war, sometimes not. Um, and then we get Ruth. Well, right after Ruth, we get First and Second Samuel, First and 2 Kings, First and 2 Chronicles. And man, those are also stories of Israel's rise. Man, that's where we hear about King David and King Solomon and the building of the temple. And right in between Judges and First Samuel is that's Ruth. Um, also, in a time where patriarchs ruled, we have Ruth. A woman, Moabite hero. How do you like this? You're reading through the Bible. You get to this short one. Like, let's just say you're like, I'm going to read through one book of the Bible a day. Man, you've been struggling. And then you get to Ruth and you're like, sweet, sweet. Four chapters that tell a story of who? Because it's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. The Lord is mentioned. And it definitely gives us a glimpse of who Jesus is. But the, God, the name God isn't mentioned anywhere in the book of Ruth. It's so strange. It's just this love poem, this love story in the midst of like, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, imagine watching Mission Impossible, and then all of a sudden there's a scene of the notebook right in the middle, and then it just picks right back up. You know, that's, that's where we are. Here's the thing about the story of Ruth. It's just not exciting. Like, it's just normal. There's actually not much of a climax in the book. There's, um, there's no war. There's no fighting. Actually, the love story is just kind of normal. And that's where I think the point is. Go ahead and find with me. We're going to go through the whole book of Ruth. We're going to rely on the Bible to tell the story. And, uh, and then we'll make some application at the end. Okay, so just follow along in the story of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and 2. And this is what it says. In, in the days when the judges ruled. All right? So look, this, you, you can see how the story plays out right here. Because the book of Ruth is sometime played out in the book of Judges. Okay, so sometime in the midst of the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were uh, Aphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah. Aphrodites. From Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. All right. Um, this is what's, this is, is fascinating. They're coming from Bethlehem. Can we put this map up? All right. So this is just a description of the, uh, where it says here in blue, it's just a description of the map. The red is where Moab is, and Bethlehem, Judah is here. Okay. The name Bethlehem means uh, bread. And so what's interesting is the place of bread now has none. There's a famine in the place of bread. And so these Hebrew people go to live in Moab 
where there's prosperity. Look, whenever you read the name Moab or the Moabites in the Bible, you should gag a little bit. Um, I had a professor in co- exactly like that, just don't vomit. Um, I had a professor in college who would say, when he'd be reading uh, the scriptures and they would say Mo- the Moabites or Moab, he would go, Patui. And I'll always remember that. Here's why. The Moabites, the people of Moab, they worshipped Kadesh. Now, the like, the most, uh, the biggest display of worship to the god Kadesh was to offer us a baby as a sacrifice, so that you would be on good terms with the god. Man, your society has hit rock bottom, right? When that is your worship. The Moabites, where they've come from. Anybody remember the story of Lot and his two daughters? So basically, Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, and his, is getting older. And it's just him and his two daughters. And his two daughters are like, man, we don't have anyone to, to give us children. And so what they, and, and our father's getting older, and there's no men around us. And so one of the daughters says, hey, we, we're going to get uh, our father drunk. And then we're going to, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. There's some kids in here. Uh, we're we're going to have children that way. You catch my drift. That's disgusting, right? <laughs> like, if you think that's normal, you need to chill. That's disgusting. You, you guys need to either wake up or you're like, no, that's not gross. This is, this is cool. Um, no. Look, I'm from Kentucky. This is gross. Um, well, the descendants of that of one of those daughters are the Moabites. And so the way that everyone makes jokes about people from Kentucky, uh, that's how everyone thought about Moabites. Except they weren't jokes, they were for real. Like they're disgusting people. And here's what you have now. You have people who worship Yahweh God, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A, a God of peace who, and a God of order. A God of purity are going to go live in Moab in a place where they're not really, where they're foreigners. Well, let's read a few more verses. Verse 3, now Limelech, Naomi's husband, died, and, uh, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite, ugh, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Man. I imagine if this were a movie, the camera would come in on Naomi's face, and it's just tired. She has been living in a land that's not her home for 10 years. Some of you know what that's like. She's in a place where people worship in, in cruel ways. And that's got to weigh on you after seeing that time and time again. They don't worship God. And then her husband dies. Well, at least she has her two sons. But they're disappointments because they marry Moabite women. Patui. And then her sons die. She has lost it all. And now all Naomi has are two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. 
In these 10 years, Naomi has lived a lot of life. Can you imagine? Maybe you can. Maybe for you, you don't have to imagine very much. Maybe you've been abandoned and left in a place that's not your home. Maybe, maybe you've, you've experienced the same kind of loss that Naomi has experienced. Maybe it's the loss of a husband or a dad, your sons, too early. Here's where this, this sermon is not about this, but maybe it's a good side application here is when we read the story, when we read the Bible, we see God's upper story from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And we can see the whole story, especially when we talk about Revelation, when it talks about Jesus is going to come and there's going to be a day when there's no more weeping, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, and we're going to worship Jesus forever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The upper story. But what Naomi's seeing is the lower story. Right? The lower story is here. It's right here. And so although Naomi is really struggling in life, she can take heart because there is an upper story that is bigger than she is. Although you are experiencing a crappy lower story, you can take heart because there is a greater upper story that is much bigger than you. So Naomi decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Moab, from Moab back to Bethlehem because she hears God starting to bless it again. And she invites Orpah and Ruth to go with her. But on the trip, she asks, she says to Orpah and Ruth, listen, I've got nothing for you. I don't have any more children for you to marry. So if you want to go back to your home, you can. And Orpah's like, thank you. I'm out. Peace out, lady. I'm going back home. Um, Ruth says, well, you, you, this passage familiar, you've probably, you might have heard it in weddings. Uh, and although it's from Ruth to Naomi, it is good for a husband and a wife to say to one another, verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Check this part out. Your people, who is not her people, they're not Moabites, they're, they're, God, they're Hebrews. She says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What she says there is, I'm going to provide for you, okay? Uh, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped urging her. Okay, Ruth and Naomi finally from Moab make it to, uh, if you were to finish reading that chapter, they make it to Bethlehem. And here's the thing. We know she's lived a lot of life. And you know it because you can meet someone your age that looks 10 years older than you. You know what I'm saying? She walks into, uh, she walks into Bethlehem and people are like, Is that Naomi? Naomi says, don't call me that. Call me Mara. Because Mara means bitter. She says, call me Mara because the Lord has not shown favor on me. 
I want you to hear something in Naomi's voice. Like she is angry at God. You ever been there? She's tired. She can't handle anything else. Please, not one more thing, God. Ever been there? You should know that it's okay. And if you're angry at God, it doesn't make you less of a Christian. It just makes you in a relationship. <laughs> if you're tired, that's okay. You've been somewhere. And most likely, if you're tired, you're not going to stop. You're that kind of person who's made it through a lot, and you're going to keep going through a lot. But here's what you got to see about the life of Naomi. She's tired, she's angry, she's bitter. She tells everyone else, just call me bitter because that's who I am. She's a bitter old woman. And she said, but she's faithful in what is good. She's faithful in the little things. And even though Ruth said, uh, I won't, uh, when Ruth says, uh, don't urge me to leave you, it says Naomi stopped and said, come with me. Ruth chapter 1 verse 22 ends that chapter and gives us a good segue into the next. It says, so Naomi returned to Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. Man, it will not let that leave her. Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. All right, chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. Uh, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, so they're related, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And she went on. She went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Check this phrase out. As it turned out, she has worked, uh, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from a clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. You ever been in one of those situations where she's like, man, as it turned out. Or maybe we should be talking about how has God, as God lined it up, as God kind of made this happen or guided it. Did you see Ruth <clears throat> being faithful in the little things? It would be easy for her to get to Bethlehem with Naomi and just be as bitter as Naomi is. She lost her husband also, her brother-in-law and her mom. Now she's, or, and her father-in-law, she's now living in a place that's not her own. She doesn't have family or networks or resources, and she can't text or call home. It's bad service. She probably has Sprint. <laughs> but what does she do? She's faithful in little things. She says now uh, she takes her role as the poor woman. I'll go glean behind who will ever let me. I'll walk through the harvest field and just take whatever's there. She says uh, she takes her role as a widow. She doesn't, she's not, she don't need no mans. She's independent. She's like, I'm going to do it on my own. I take my role as a widow. And then remember what she tells Naomi. Even if death separates us, let God deal with me severely. 
Because if death separates us, that means I'm not providing you for you. And so she goes to the harvest to provide food for both of them. She's just doing the normal things well. She's being faithful in the little things. Man, this story is so boring. You know, it's like, where's the, where's the war? Like, where's the miracles? Where's God going to, eh, you know, we're just going to keep looking. Boaz sees Naomi, so she goes to work, she goes to, to take this, and she sees, ne- she sees Ruth, and she's like, who's that? That is not a Hebrew person. I'm not familiar with her, she's not here, um, she's not here often, who's this woman? And then all the people who are working in the harvest field, they come to Boab and, or Boaz, and they tell Boaz, she's with Naomi. Hey, remember when Naomi said, call me Mara? The Bible refuses to call her Mara. If you're bitter, you're not defined by that. If you're angry, you're not defined by that. When you follow Christ, you're defined as a child of God, even if you are bitter, even if you are angry. And the Bible refuses to call her Mara, and it doesn't. But they tell Boaz that she's with Naomi. And so Boaz kind of strolls through. He's probably got this long flowy hair, I don't know. And he walks through and then he sees um he sees Ruth and he says this chapter two, verse eight and nine. Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here uh, with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. This is awesome. He comes up to Ruth. As it turns out, she just ends up in this field. And he goes up to Ruth and he says, listen, I want you to stay here. You belong here. Moabites didn't belong in Bethlehem, but Ruth belongs there. He says, I want you to glean with my women. I want you to work alongside of the women who are working here, the poor, the widows. I want you to continue doing that. I'm going to tell my men not to to try to date you or or hurt you. They're not going to lay a hand on you. Here's what's interesting is when he goes a few verses later and he talks to the men, what he tells them to do. He says, watch out for her, protect her, don't lay a hand on her. Actually, why don't you drop some extra food for her? You see that Boaz, he sees a poor woman who looks a lot like his mom. We'll talk about that in a second. He says, protect her. Actually, I'm going to provide for her. As a love story, it's hard for us guys not to read through this and see our role as provision and protection. And we think of a lot of that physically. But the Bible, when it talks about being fed, it says man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Guys, are you providing also uh, spiritual for your home? Are you protecting? The Bible talks, it says our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against Satan. Men, are, are you protecting your home? Are you praying for your wife and your children? Are you standing in the gap for them um, as Boaz did? <clears throat> the story keeps going. We get to verse 19 and 20. She had a hard day work at her first day. Anybody else remember how awkward the first day of work is? 
you don't know anything. You apologize like a thousand times and for, for nothing. Like someone walks and you step out and you're like, oh, sorry. It's like, you could have been standing there. You didn't have to apologize anyway. So she has that awkward day, first day at work, and she comes home. She's ready to tell Naomi, and this is what we hear, verse 19, 20. Time to trim the beard up. 19 and 20. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one, who, uh, about the one at whose place she had been working The name of the man I worked for today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's our guardian redeemer. Maybe your translation might call Boaz the kinsman redeemer. In clan culture, or in this village-type culture, in Israel, in, the, in Hebrew people, uh, there's, this, there's this role of a guardian or a kinsman redeemer. And what it was, was if every male in your family died, right? We saw Limelech die, Malon die, Kilion died. All the males are gone. What would happen is you would go to the next male in the family line and you would call on them to play the role of the kinsman redeemer. And what that would be, or what that would entail of, is he would take on all of the people in the family. He would take, out, he would take on all the property, all the livestock on the property. He would be the leader of that family, but he would also take on the debt. And any injustices that that family has caused would now be his responsibility. And so she says, man, blessed is the guy who you found. He hasn't stopped looking after our family. As it turns out, (laughs) you found our kinsman redeemer. Man, how lucky, right, are they? Or maybe it's just so that God has put her in a place to find Boaz. Do you see? How Boaz sees, he finds out she's with Naomi, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm just going to do the little thing. I'm going to take care of this poor widow. Ruth, who's just doing the little thing, she's just going to work and coming home, and then she's like, and then Naomi's like, whoa, you didn't just go to work and come home. Well, Naomi does this thing. Single people, you know what this is like. When someone knows you're single, and then they think in their mind, Oh, I know this other single person. I'm going to hook you guys up. Y'all, stop doing that, please. I'm not single, but on behalf of single people, stop. Uh, you, this is not my notes, but I'm going to step over here and say this. It's all right to be single. Married is not the goal. Matter of fact, Paul says, it's better to remain single. Because you can, you can do more ministry that way. He says, but... It's better to get married than burn with passion. And so, look, if you're single, and uh, just be confident in that. Um, the goal is not married, to be married. And it's not a spiritual goal. It's not a spiritual next step. If God allows that, if there are two people who love Jesus and then first and then love each other, man, let that be. But don't, if you're single here, don't feel like you're a second class or anything like that. 
It's so eloquent, I know, but it's whatever. If you're single, you rock and you belong here. Okay. If you're married, you also rock and belong here. But not if you're going to keep doing that with single people, right? Okay, just stop trying to hook them up. They'll hook themselves up. Saturday night, sometimes they have a single dance party here. You can come to that. Um, but Naomi didn't learn that lesson. She's never been to Restore Church before. And so Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this. Uh, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find you a home for you. Am I a dog? i got to find a new home for you uh, where you will be provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women uh, you have worked, is, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Check this out. Especially single people. If someone comes to you with this plan, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Okay, sounds good. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there. Until he is finished eating and drinking. Oh, here you go. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. (laughs) Not a good plan, y'all. Not a good plan. You will end up in prison the next day. But Ruth is faithful in the little things. She's not in this culture. She doesn't know how it works. And you know, coming from Moab, this is probably like tame. And she does what she says. Boaz approved, like when all this happens, the Bible says, Boaz covered her with the corner of his blanket. I'm like, man, this better not be symbolism. Okay, this... Anyway, Boaz approves of Ruth. He takes her and her family, and now he's the kinsman redeemer. Nicholas Sparks, this is good stuff. But, but, look at verse 12 and 13. Um, Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly of your servant, though I do not have uh, the standing of one of your servants. Uh, Oh, wrong chapter. You guys are like, what is this dude here? Although it is true, (laughs) although it is true, I am a guardian redeemer of your family. There's another who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. You see, Boaz also is doing the little things faithfully. Even though right here, it's just, if he just said, yeah, I'll do it. I like you. I'll be your kinsman redeemer. He knows that he can't. And it would actually cause more problems for him and the family and the other kinsman redeemer if he takes responsibility. And he just does the little things faithfully. This is still not that exciting of a story. Although we do get like a little twist, a little plot twist, a wrench in the plan. What we really see is Boaz is doing the right thing. And so Boaz calls a meeting with uh, 
was the next in line, the other kinsman redeemer. He brings the elders so they can witness what happens. And then in chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, it says this. Then he says to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you bide in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Now keep, keep this up. I will do it. I'll take a Hebrew family in, and they'll be mine. Now, if, if you're in this Nicholas Sparks movie with me, there's a little bit of disappointment. It's like you were rooting for Boaz. Like you wanted Boaz to be the person, right? And, but he says, I'll do it. And then Boaz, who's faithful in the little things, he says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the, de- uh, the, name of the dead with this property. Hold on, keep this right here for a second. So just so you know, I'm going to tell you of all the family that comes with it, all the debt that's going to accrue, all of the baggage that's coming with your your purchase, and her name is Ruth, because she's a Moabite. Check out what this bozo, Boaz and bozo, check out what this knucklehead says. Knucklehead's a bad word in my house, so don't say it around my kids. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it. You knucklehead. Because I might endanger my own estate. You got it. You redeem it. I don't know if Boaz... Ever told, ever told Ruth this story? Um, man, I, well, well, we'll talk about it in a second. But Boaz marries Ruth the Moabite. He takes her, he says, I will do my duties. I will be the kinsman redeemer. You are mine. I am yours. Um, and I'll take Naomi and all of the stuff that comes with it. And then we see Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. Um, It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. This is the Bible's way of saying, and happily ever after. Man, this, this is great, but it's so boring. Nothing happened. There's no like climax to it all. And again, I think that's the point. The point is just being faithful and right where God has you. Man, you might say, look, God's not calling me to be a missionary. God's not calling me to be a preacher or a church planner, but he is calling you to be a church planner. Everyone's a church planner. He's calling you. He might not be calling you to do all this. He might be. And if he is, don't ignore that. But he might not be. He might be calling you just to be faithful right where you are. At work. At home. At school. Just to be faithful in the little things. I want to show you how the book of Ruth ends. It ends with one of those boring genealogies, right? This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Keep this up. Go back, go back, go back, go back. First of all, if you're looking for names, here's a good list. Um, Second of all... uh, you know, it's just one of these genealogies, but I want you to see what faithfulness leads to. Here it is. Uh, the, the next one, verse 21. 
Okay. Verse 21 says this, chapter 4, verse 21. Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, who David will become the king of Israel, to which every other king will be the measuring stick. This David is the Michael Jordan of basketball. Like Everyone's going to be compared to David, even to today. And the faith of Ruth, the faith of Naomi, the faith of Ruth, the faith of Boaz, they give birth to Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. And you can see a faithfulness. Like these guys are like, I'm going to teach my son to love God. I'm going to teach my son to love God. I'm going to teach my son to love God. And the, the last in the line of, of shepherds, right, is going to be the king of Israel. Just, the next time we hear of Boaz and Ruth is in Matthew chapter 1. Another boring lineage where someone begot somebody, somebody begot somebody. Check this out, Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Don't miss this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And then it's going to show 14 more generations leading to Jesus Christ, who is referred to as the son of David. I paused this week when I was reading this. You can't skip over genealogies. You can read them fast, but don't skip over them. Why was it so easy for Boaz to take a Moabite woman who was viewed as sexually deviant, who was not a Hebrew person, who was uh, just second class? Who's Boaz's mother? It was Rahab, a prostitute who was not one of God's people. But she was brought into the family because she was faithful in the little things. And eventually she found an Israelite husband, uh, Salmon. And because of their faithfulness, they have Boaz. And Boaz got to watch his parents share stories of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness. And it began to rub off. All right, real quick, here's our application Uh, for this morning, and it comes from, again, Scripture. Remember, we're letting the Bible teach here, and we're letting the Bible carry us through. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Um, and it it says this, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father, our Father through Him. Listen, in your lower story, you can contribute to other lower stories that will have a huge impact on the upper story. It's where a single mom, be faithful because your kids will see what hard work and determination and faithfulness and love looks like. Husbands, be faithful in the little things and every day your wife will see a little example of Christ. Wives, Be faithful in the little things, and you will be the rock bed of your home. Singles, be faithful in the little things, and you'll grow to be more comfortable in your relationship with Christ over any other relationship out there. Shift workers, be faithful when you go to work. Don't be another person. Be a Christ follower 
and you will change your work environment. Stay at home, moms. Be faithful in the little things. And your children will get to watch what grace and patience and kindness and justice and discipline look like. Here's the thing. As last week I asked you, consider being, consider being uh, the chaplain of where you work, where you live, and where you play. And here's the thing is when you do that, all you have to do is be faithful to God in the little things. And you will watch, we will watch as Jacksonville changes. Because people will experience what the love of Jesus looks like. In 1981, um, you guys know I love sports. If you didn't, I do. Uh, in 1981, especially my first love, which is baseball, October 15th, the New York Yankees are playing against the Oakland Athletics. It's the ALCS, the American League Championship Series. Well, if you don't know baseball, the next step uh, after this series is the World Series. Well, most of you who don't watch baseball, you might even watch it in October when the playoffs are here. It's the most exciting portion of, of the season, right? It's what you play for. Uh, October is for keeps is what they say. Well, um, this game was boring, a little bit like Ruth, right? The story was boring, or the game was boring. Nothing was happening. It was a defensive struggle, which is baseball fans' most favorite thing. And then there's this dude in the stands. His name was George Henderson. And George Henderson was like, it's the playoffs, y'all. The next step is the World Series. We're talking about a pennant. We got to... And he, so he just stands up, and he has this drum. They actually call him Crazy George Henderson. And he just stands up, and he turns around to this section of people, and, you know, crazy people look like this, and he gets this look in his eyes, and he just starts banging his drum. And then he tries to get everybody else excited, and, you know, excitement is contagious. And so he starts banging his drum, and people start to get excited, and they stand up, and so then he goes to the next section, and he starts to bang his drum, and the next Section stands up, but he turns around, his, his section is sat down. So he goes back to his section, and he starts banging the drum again, and they stand up, so then he goes to the next section, and they stand up, and they're cheering, but the section behind him sat down again. He's like, so he goes back and starts again. So he starts banging his drum, and then they stand up, and they're cheering so loud, and then the next section, he's banging his drum again, and they, sta they stand up, they're cheering, and he looks back, and his section is sat down again, but he's like, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to keep going. So he just starts running up behind the first baseline, banging his drum, and here's what he realizes is that every section he gets to they stand up but the section behind him has sat down and so he frustrated he just quits but when he stops the wave doesn't and every sportsman hates the wave <laughs> but the wave continues today go to a baseball game and here's what happens if you will just stand up and faithfully bang your drum just one at a time. And it might not look pretty. No one may ever know your name. But just like Boaz and Ruth gave birth to Obed, no one really even knows Obed's name. Not many people know Jesse's name. But everyone knows King David's name. And we all know King Jesus' name. Just show faithfulness in the little things. If being good is good enough, you will never be great. 
But greatness is doing the little things faithfully. Amen.